Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Almost live from the trenches of New York City, here are your middle-aged warriors, Chris Cimino and Rick Summers. And once again, we welcome you to Middle-Aged Warriors with Rick Summers. And Chris Cimino, back again. Amazingly. Through the magic, uh, the magic of technology, here we are. And we have a very special guest that's going to join us in a couple of minutes or two. But uh, in the meantime, welcome back. It's good to see you. Yeah, we're actually um, in person for a change. We're almost practicing six feet of separation here. We're, I think we're at five and three quarters, but you know, <laughs> almost. Who's, who's counting? Yeah, really. We'll see what happens. But you know, the interesting thing about the guest we have today, uh, I was stumbling through movies the other day, having a lot of extra time in my hand, and I realized I, had, I saw 42 come up, and I had never seen the movie 42 before. So. Which I haven't. You haven't seen it? No. Harrison Ford does an amazing job uh, of Branch Rickey in that movie. But the movie is very well done. It's one of those better baseball movies where, you know, when they do a baseball scene, the guy's really hitting the ball. It's a real line drive. It's not, you know, the ridiculous cutaways that they use. But uh, we have a connection to the guests we have today to talk a little bit about Absolutely. Sir. You know, and it's interesting because you and I were sitting and having dinner last week and we were talking about uh, all right, who are we going to get on the show? Who are we going to talk to? And I brought up our guest, who you will meet in a second, and said his dad, first of all, Wayne, who is our guest, who you will meet, is a huge baseball fan, has a great history, was instrumental in getting John Franco on our show mm-hmm. uh, weeks ago. And uh, Wayne just has such a great history with baseball New York City baseball, Brooklyn Dodgers baseball. And I just thought that he would be an ideal guest. And nobody better than Wayne to tell his dad's story, mm-hmm. which we'll get to in a sec. But first, let me... Patiently waiting. <laughs> and standing by for our cue to say hello <laughs> is Counselor Wayne Lonstein, who is in the era of true disclosure and transparency, is a friend of mine and is somebody I've known and been blessed to know for 20 some odd years. I heard it's okay to have a, a, an attorney as a friend. Every and now and then you meet a nice one. An attorney and a judge. And Wayne, we would like to welcome you to Middle Age Warriors because you fit the profile. Wow, thanks guys. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, you know, Middle Age Warriors, great name. Uh, by the way, Chris, I my goal in life is to become a recovering attorney. Uh, <laughs> they have they have the facilities for that now i heard so uh, boy i tell you what i think i need more than 28 days yeah yeah i'm so glad you were able to carve some time out for us how is middle age treating you uh well uh it's great because i have a uh, 26 a uh, an 18 and a 16 year old so mm. getting married a little later because of my antics younger in life getting married at 40 uh, allows me to be youthful. And uh, yesterday was collegiate baseball summer league, thank goodness. My junior in high school is doing virtual football, actually team days for various universities. So it keeps you going. It's a lot of fun, especially when I'm not practicing because as you know, my practice is sports, courts and bars. And uh, right now we praise gets better. Love that. <laughs> We gave birth to this podcast as two guys reaching middle age and thinking, what next? What are we going to talk about when our careers are kind of in the rearview mirror? So here we are talking baseball, 
talking about being middle-aged warriors and talking about just life in general. And it's been a great, great opportunity for us to, to meet some really interesting people even uh, online like this. So no pressure, Wayne. You have to be really- well, How did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good question. But an, int an interesting point though, in, in the discussion we had prior to starting the show with you, um, and you had talked about your dad being a huge Brooklyn Dodger fan. I grew up in a household. My mom was probably the bigger Brooklyn Dodger fan than even my dad. But that's the baseball that I was sort of weaned on, if you will. So when the Dodgers left town, they stopped following baseball. They were not going to become Yankee fans. That would never happen. And then I took to watching baseball, and I almost became a Boston Red Sox fan. When they found that I was watching baseball, they said, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and they took me to my first Met game, and they punished me ever since. But to you, to lead into the story about your dad and being a, a Brooklyn Dodger fan, there's a really interesting historical aspect to his connection to the game and his writing about uh, a particular Brooklyn Dodger, right? Yeah, uh, and, and thanks for the opportunity. I mean, uh, I always cite Iris, also known as Glenn Close, big Met fan mm -hmm. from the Natural, who said, you know, believe we have two lives, the lives we learn with and the lives we live with after that. I think that was a great line. So that's what middle-aged warriors do, right? And hopefully right. we can share some of our experience and some of our learnings. And mistakes are, are good things to learn. So my dad uh, grew up in the Bronx, went to DeWitt Clinton, and uh, played baseball in and out of colleges, I guess. I think he played at LIU uh, at that time, and then eventually uh, signed a uh, far from lucrative pro contract with the St. Louis Browns. Uh, had his heart broker broken when the boys of summer, uh, boys of summer left Flatbush and uh, went to LA. And so he came back, he went to law school in Albany and he started practicing law, but he never lost uh, the thirst, the hunger, the love for the game. And uh, because we're upstate, Cooperstown is uh, literally an hour and a half drive. So in fact, when I was in high school, our baseball team got to play every year a game at Doubleday Field. So oh, yeah. truly blessed. And all my kids have played there, too, which is just wonderful. It's awesome. So, uh, you know, he, he was a big Sinatra who also had a little Dodger interest. But certainly uh, Brooklyn Dodgers, and they left. And, you know, we would talk about the boys of summer. We'd talk about Reese. We'd talk about Ferrillo. And so he was a little Damon Runyon-esque as a character, to say the least. Mm. And so he would record people. And he had a radio show in Ellenville, New York, under the moniker of Big Al. Mm -hmm. He the make-believe ballroom with Sinatra. And I got to work the board. At the time, I, I thought it was torture. Listening to these, you know, Woody Herman, Dizzy Gillespie, Harry yeah. James, Buddy Rich. But then I got to meet all of them. Wow. I'd be holding the recorder. And so between that, the love for music he had, and the love for the Dodgers, he started to do the same thing. He started to find every one of the old Dodgers. Pee Wee, Ferrillo, Duke, Jackie, Campy, Shotgun Shuba, people, Cal Abrams, all sorts of people. He just loved baseball. And he was, uh, while practicing law, he was setting up the Ellenville Little League and was its president for 30 years. And used inmate labor got them out, would buy the McDonald's. They used to allow it, which was a great thing, bring the inmates who were low security, because we have a couple of prisons here, constructing beautiful little league fields in Ellenville. Then he'd also use that, quite candidly, as an entry point into the Brooklyn Dodgers and the Mets saying, hey, you know, we've got this little league, and he would get them to involve themselves. Mm -hmm. So he was uh, kind of a Radar O'Reilly in terms of scrounging around a little bit. Stuff. And um, so eventually in 1970, 
three or four, I believe. And I think I was there, but I'd be lying if I said I had a strict memory of it. Uh, there was a hotel called The Granite in Kerhonkson, New York. And at that time, they had a uh, association of building contractors who had a uh, convention. And unbelievably was uh, Jackie Robinson was a paid speaker that day. Really? And okay. so um, I, I think it was actually 1972. So my dad made arrangements with the organizers because he knew people at the hotel to, once Jackie finished, to conduct an interview. My dad passed away in 1993. And about 2014, <clears throat> I'm looking through desks Starting, I mean, we're talking thousands of tapes. Well, let's try this cassette. And what is it? It's Robinson. So I'm like, okay. So I talked to some of my friends in the game. And some of them were of the opinion, you know, contact Rachel, contact the foundation, sell it. And I said, my dad got kicked out of the Hall of Fame more times for overstaying his welcome and accessing the players. <laughs> the best thing, the best revenge would try to get inducted. So. I contact them uh, and they authenticate, they digitize, they research, and they say, hey, you know what? Uh, we're not going to pay you anything. I said, I'm not asking. And they said, uh, we'd like to induct this into our archives. Oh, my goodness. And, and so happiest, one of the happiest days of my life, but it was 2017. Yeah. What's truly unbelievable is on the day and the year that it's inducted, one of my clients was inducted in the Hall of Fame. And who was that? If you Trevor Hoffman. Oh, oh wow. really? So I got the pleasure to sit with my dear, dear friend, Rick Thurman of Beverly Hills Sports Council, who put me in the business. Trevor Hoffman's family was there, but I was sitting with another client, Scott Erickson, uh, a couple other players, and with my boys sitting in the sun. Oh, my God. With a card that says lifetime member of the Hall of Fame and donor. And I was like, Life doesn't get any better than this, That's even in retrospect. And, you know, it's one of those moments where you just say, you know, honor thy father, honor thy mother. Yeah. We, we've lost that, but we shouldn't. Baseball really is that game. Yeah. It's that familial game. And I used to hate it because it was slow. I'm a football guy. Now I love it. You know, I watch the pitches. I, I, I just... It's a gift that keeps on giving. So that's how it came about. And Jackie died 34 days after that speech. Oh my God. Last known recording. What would your dad say if he was around today going through this hiatus and the state of baseball in general? So I don't know if you've heard the interview. One of the most telling things, and I love this. It was painful at the time to hear. Since Jackie is a Jewish guy, I can't identify with what it was like being black at the time. I can't. I can identify with what it's like being Jewish, but I can't identify. Tell me what, and I'm paraphrasing, tell me what we should know. I can't walk in your shoes. You can't walk in mine. And Jackie said, and this was really one of the best things that I ever took out of that, and it's so important today. He said, you know, my country I love. And, and Robinson was a Republican. People don't know that, many people. And in fact, he was a big supporter of Nixon, but didn't think Nixon went far enough. <laughs> it was shocking. Yeah. And uh, what he said is, the white person needs to understand, and I don't think they're capable of understanding what it's like to be in my shoes or a black person's shoes. And that's just fact. He wasn't talking it from, this is bad or good. He was just saying it. 
Similarly, he said, but the black community has to listen to the white community. In other words, we need a bi-directional communication if we're ever gonna make this the country that Jackie said he dreamed of, dreamt about. And that's where I think his heart would be torn out today. Because unfortunately, forget COVID, nobody's listening, we're yelling past each other, mm -hmm. okay? And uh, you know, I have, especially in social media, it's poison when it comes to this because there's a certain psychology online which is called the online disinhibition effect. And basically it says, you know, I feel I'm anonymous. Nobody ever responds to me. I can be provocative and it allows you to become more and more aggressive. And when that happens, there goes communication. Mm -hmm. And we can all hear, but are we listening? And that's what Jackie stressed to my dad. And we all, you know, his son died of a heroin overdose. And he was actually up talking with my dad about the Renaissance Project right in Ellenville, New York. His dad was here. And the issue of bail came up. I mean, this was, you know, 1972, right? And now we're talking about bail today and bail reform. I mean, it's amazing. These two guys, you know, a heavyset former baseball player and a diabetic, almost going to die uh, hero, icon, talking about 30, 40 years, today's issues, right on the, and, and Jackie was of the position, you know, they say, if my son leaves Renaissance, we're going to put him back in jail. And he said, that's not going to help anything. And my dad said, his position was, you know, and minorities have bail set on them much more often and much more harshly. This is my dad as the attorney saying that was always bothersome to him is we used as a punishment, not as a tool. Mm -hmm. And it was clearly used uh, in different ways, depending upon, you know, how much was it melanin, your, your skin, what your skin tone was, what your demographic was, because sadly, and this still remains today as a judge and a jurist, what may seem somewhat integrated in New York City, you go north, Rick, you know what Route 17, Chris, I don't know if you're an upstate guy. Yeah, you run into a town court, um, the odds are if you're from the inner city, you're not gonna see anybody in those courts who looks remarkably, remarkably, anyway, remotely, what you look like. And that was the whole conversation, it was incredible. No, but you know, and that was the thing in having watched uh, the movie 42 and then you know you go through the, the perspective there's no way you know as a white male i could comprehend what jackie tolerated and under that you know under all of that performed the way he did which was amazing but you know when the movie was done and they you know they ran a couple of things across the screen and i see you know it was, it was 1947 then i did quick math in my head because i'm so brilliant and i said uh that was 73 years 73 years ago and look where we are today it's embarrassing absolutely two years after the conclusion of world war ii and i would argue where we are today is in 1921 22 right now the same social disrupt history repeats itself sadly and we don't learn and remember jackie was you know had done the mantra remember he was court-martialed you, right. you do know That's and right. he beat it he beat it. Amazing. I mean, some of the things this man did, he was literate. He was a great athlete. And he had the greatest power of all, which killed him probably early in his life. It was a pain in his life. 
and the rage he had to keep inside. I mean, you can't do justice to two and a half hours in a film. No. To somebody who, you know, took the slings, took the arrows. Uh, you, you just can't do justice. And it's all, I don't want to say biblical, but it's walk a mile in my shoes, right? That's yeah. the old Joe South song, right? Remember Joe South? Yeah. yeah. Walk a mile in my shoes before you criticize or accuse. But wait, and, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. But is there, you know, we talk about 73 years have passed, and as you were pointing out, it's almost as if we went backwards to like the 20s with this particular issue and this struggle, this social struggle that we have, black, white. What, if anything, have you seen societally that has, we have progressed and, and moved forward and made conditions better? Is, is there anything within society? I'm not talking necessarily white, black, but my point is, is there something we can look at as maybe an example to get the right foothold on, on fixing this problem? If you want to call it fixing, I don't know about fixing, but, but moving forward in a positive way. Is there any example in our recent history that you can think of? Well, a lot of people criticize base, base. We talked about criticize baseball because it's too slow as a game, right? They're trying to speed it up. Mm -hmm. Quite candidly, what happened with Jackie Robinson, and Jackie talks in the, in the interview about Satchel, okay? Yeah. and Buck O'Neill. So baseball actually did move. It moved a hell of a lot. I mean, Hesita, we, we are just so, in my mind, short attention span that we have made great progress as a nation. We just had a black president for two terms. Who would have ever thought about that? Right. Ever, ever, ever. We have African-Americans, Latinos on the Supreme Court. I'm a half full guy. I think we've made great strides. And history just does not move that quickly. And you know what? In some ways, I hate to say this, it probably shouldn't. Because what's happening now is a knee jerk. Okay? Knee jerks, whether it's enacting laws or behaviors, are very dangerous. Because in my opinion, they cause ideological swings. All right? We're going far left today. The other side of that was in uh, 1921 with the Nazis taking over in Germany was a tremendous move of the Nationalist Socialist Party to an autocratic dictator, you know, ended up. So we have to be very careful what, what forces are at work. And I'm afraid we're not measured enough. We're not playing baseball. We're playing a video game, really hyper fast. And that's dangerous. So I think, Chris, actually, we've made great strides throughout so much. No great line, Steve Jobs said it about iTunes, is don't let the uh, album be the enemy of the song. Don't let perfect be the enemy of good. And it's okay to be good. We're not perfect, all of us, right? We're middle-aged, sort of, moving on warriors. <laughs> we learn from mistakes, and I think we've done a pretty darn good job of it. And to trash the whole thing on the scrap pile of history is insanity. And unfortunately, we haven't done a really great job, in my opinion, after the video age and the technology age. And I went back to school and got two advanced degrees in internet, uh, in, uh, cybersecurity and homeland security. I understand it somewhat. I'm dangerous enough to know where the smart people live. <laughs> but when you, yeah, when you, uh, start to acquire your information in 280 characters on a phone in very short form content, yeah. you start to lose critical thinking and you, you start to get this instant gratification mentality. 
Right. And I think that's what's happening right now. Instead of measured approaches, all right, let's sit down, let's all get together, and let's address this. You cannot defund the police. I watched a video of officers at Grant Park trying to defend the Christopher Columbus statue this weekend being hurled at. They were under stand-down orders, fireworks being shot at them. This was the park where President Obama in 2008 celebrated his victory. This is the place where Christopher Columbus, President Obama said, yes, it's imperfect in history. Yes, there are problems, but we need to celebrate the spirit, the beauty of, of Columbus. And where are we now? We're in this movement, a very dangerous place, and this is what scares me, of erasing history. Right. All of us have history. And if we start erasing history, we're in a very dangerous place. And this is from a kid who had to be dragged by his ears to the gate of heaven cemetery in Westchester County to Babe Ruth's grave by my father. So, you know, I started to learn the hard way why history is important. I think we're doing a good job. We need to uh, figure out who are the voices that we should be real, the voices of moderation. Right. Yeah, I mean, you, you made a point before, and somebody had actually earlier today sent me a quote for some reason, This is and this is all it was, and it said, strive for progress rather than perfection. I, pretty much just speaking to what you just said. Yeah, I, did you guys read the Churchill book, uh, Splendid in the Vile? No. And Churchill said this, and it's true today like it was then, when um, there was the uprising of, clearly the Nazi movement was moving in the late 30s, mid to late 30s in Europe. Chamberlain signed the non-aggression pact with Hitler the next day he invades Poland. And Churchill said, you know, what's an appeaser? An appeaser is somebody who feeds everybody else to the crocodile, hoping it eats him last. <laughs> and I thought, that's a great thing. So why do I say that? Because we cannot be a nation of laws and order if we're appeasing every direction. And I'm not talking right, left, middle, whatever. If we're appeasing everybody who has an instinct or a desire, because then we're in anarchy. We have to have, again, I go back to imperfect. Man has never been perfect. Man has always been mankind. I'm using it kind of like small man. Right. Um, and so I worry that we're not playing baseball with it, and we need to. We need to sit down with that scoreboard. Did your dads make you guys keep score at a game? Oh, I always did. I used, yeah. to, I used to keep score at home after a while. I enjoyed it. So All right. What, what did that teach you? You know, it was monotonous. You know, K, is it the backwards K? But there was quality in that because you love to learn slowly. And I think that's what we have to, you know, I know we can't dial it back technology. I love technology. We wouldn't be talking like this without technology. Right. But like nuclear weapons, all right, my great uncle worked on the Manhattan Project. He was taken out of Sacramento Street in Brooklyn, having just completed Brooklyn College and was taken away. They thought he was a defector during World War II. What he was, is was taken by his professor to Oak Ridge, Tennessee, where they worked on the Manhattan Project. Oh, that's crazy. Um, and I got to speak to him later in life. I always knew about it, and he'd never talk about it. And I said, so Uncle Sid, I have a Forbes article actually coming out on it, hopefully soon, about Uncle Sid. And I said, in the end, is it good? And he said, like anything else, it saved millions of American and other lives. It did cost a lot of lives, but in, you have to balance, nothing's perfect. So he says, what all of us were worried about is nuclear energy getting into the hands of the wrong people. So that's what we have to kind of deal with. And I go back to social media. 
that's the nuclear energy today. It has a lot of dangerous qualities. But into so. that, I just read an article that, that you had written, and obviously you deal quite a bit with misinformation, especially in the streaming world in particular. And it said online disinformation is an asymmetric threat. Left unaddressed, it can incite worldwide panic, confusion, and governmental and societal destabilization. I mean, we're in it now. I mean, this, you know. That should be it. like Karnak, right? The envelope says. Fucking Red Bull's mayonnaise jar or something, yes. Yeah. Uh, but, it, it, it's, uh, but I read that because I am feeling that more and more every day. And, you know, there's fact, but even some of the fact is driving hysteria and anxiety. And a society that is, is enwrapped in anxiety is not a healthy one at all. There's yeah. no way out. Other no, than you're right, Chris. You you're know, right. One Gotta stop that. that. That's, that was Goebbels, by the way. What's that? Pound that message. That was Goebbels in the Nazi regime. Pound that message long enough yeah. and it becomes fact. Exactly. You know, one of the uh, things that Chris and I used to talk about of course, he is a great history as a meteorologist. They've relied on him to be able to predict the unpredictable. But Chris and I would always talk about the misinformation that broadcast companies would purport in trying to further their own agenda. In other words, this is going to be the biggest snowstorm we've ever seen in our life. And then we get two inches and, and he's walking like, uh, dog with his tail between his legs. Yeah, um, well, yeah, they're naming storms. I mean, the Weather Channel is a big business, yeah. isn't it, Chris? <clears throat> yeah, but, but the, to me, the sad fact or the fact that I had to live was that weather was one of the stories in a newscast that was very verifiable. All you had to do is stick your head out the window or step yeah. out of the day. But all of this other information we get, we can't generally verify it. We can't fact find every stinking story we hear or see. We can't. So we rely on that as being the truth and fact. Right. Yeah. I just got a call from somebody. I have to call back who's a very big Department of Defense person. And he calls me from time to time. I am humble because of my thoughts on expertise. And we actually developed a patented technology that can instantly crawl social media streams. We capture 500 every 15 seconds. And we own the patent on inserting live messages into the chat stream on social media, including live links to the facts. And I said, if we're gonna battle this asymmetric war, you've got to be able, it's not about the streamers. You can't play whack-a-mole, okay, with the fact spewers, quote unquote facts. You've got to get it from the consumption side, right? Why did prohibition end? Because they were killing everybody in Chicago. You cannot control you know, the distribution end, you have to control the consumption and market it. And my point of view is give people facts that are verifiable, like you said, stick your head out the window and, you know, yeah, find out what the weather's like and stop listening to this thing that you believe is telling you the truth. But to be fair, big tech is in all our schools today. Every kid's get free Apple Chromebooks. So they found a very good way to getting into the educational system, making people reliant. And I always say this about Google, all the fangs, that like FAA, you know, uh, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, so much of their service is free. You don't pay for a Google search. You don't pay for, is there anything in this world that's for free? Ultimately, all right. <laughs> no, and I believe we all have a digital value mm. to our persona that's being marketed and sold by these companies 
to the tune of billions of dollars. So crazy stuff. You so, are an absolute pleasure to talk with. And I'm well, so that's glad very nice. this opportunity. I don't know my wife would agree. Yeah, well, they never do. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> we're legends in our own minds, men. That's the way. Yeah, we're. my wife's a shrink, so uh, I <laughs> there's no way I can be a legend. She'll, she'll no, make me number one. She's going to be a guest on here soon. Yeah, no, she's, uh, she's uh, spoken with a lot of uh, athletes and, you know, the old line, athletes die twice. Yeah. Mm. You heard that one? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. They retire and then, you know, it's hard. Yeah. Well, Wayne, thanks so much for your time. And I, I, I honestly, I want to get back to um, hopefully down the road we can talk a little more because the, the technology side that we just kind of touched upon a little bit in the disinformation era that we live in, I really want to learn a little bit more about that and how we're moving forward to protect that. And, you know, the question simply is, is that creating a society of sheep followers? Lemmy. Is that Chris, done on this is a whole different episode and yeah, it goes exactly. a lot further than that because these companies, and I, I'm starting to make the argument because I see it's necessary, uh, and I know the path, these companies are unregulated. You know, I go back to Symphony Sid on the Howard Stern movie. Symphony Sid, I am vested in the power vested in me. Stop behaving this way. You guys had to answer to the FCC, right? Eventually. Well, social media companies are all now broadcasting live games and news directly. Mm -hmm. Why should they be subject to the rules of some sort of oversight in the FCC? That would go a long way because here's the problem. They also have the power to censor and there's no First Amendment right. So if they say, you know what, this podcast, I don't like the tenor of it. Shadow ban, done. You could go to court and tell the FCC, no, that's my First Amendment privilege. But these companies say, we're not subject to the First Amendment. That's the real existential threat we have mm. by a technocracy where these right. tech companies are bigger than the government. And they now control the majority of the spoken, recorded, and broadcast work. That's our, that'll be our next episode then. We've got one lined up. <laughs> We've got to wrap it up. But again, it was great meeting you. I know uh, Rick's yeah. time. My honor to meet you, Chris. I've been a big fan. I took one meteorology course in <laughs> uh, college and I loved it. I still to this day, you know, that was I the love fun part. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great subject. It really is, you know, how does rain, just, I'm, I'm jealous of you. Yeah, it's just, it's just the calculus and the physics courses that knock most people off the uh, meteorology oh, yeah. frame. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, and we will do this again. Uh, Rick, my brother, thank you so much. It's my honor to do anything with you, um, as always. And uh, we're going to check out. That's a wrap. Yeah. We'll Let's... see you soon. Stay safe. Stay well, okay? Wow, another great guest, actually, and, yeah. and leaving us with a lot more to want to talk about. He, <laughs> a lot, a lot to think about. This guy knows. He knows a lot of you know what. <laughs> yeah. No, Wayne is, is. He is cerebral, and he he has uh, a lot of thoughts on a lot of different subjects. He's really bright, and he's very articulate. Yeah, I love. I mean, it, it spans from sports and baseball, and the passion of baseball, and re then representing actual players to his. Uh, technological savvy and the things he's involved in on that end so broad spectrum of skills again thank you for bringing a guest that makes me feel very inept i know I both of us both of us <laughs> i really appreciate that uh real quick to, to wrap up though and talking about the baseball thing we didn't really uh, do it up front that baseball is about ready to begin uh, a couple of days at least uh, from from this particular broadcast and we watched a couple of exhibition games i did a few innings and they in some places, and I know at City Field for our Mets, they're using these cutouts. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> and the thing is, they're not in proportion, all of them. No. So there'll be somebody that looks like a normal person, sort of the size of their head sitting in the seat. <clears throat> and then another one, the entire thing is just the head. Yeah. <laughs> It's very bizarre looking. It's kind of weird. But I do give the Mets credit, A, for trying something different, and, and B, uh, for donating the money that they yes. are charging uh, uh, fans to have their cutouts placed in right. city field seats <laughs> uh, to, uh, I guess, the Mets charity or whatever yeah, it would no, be. It's, it's, it's a win-win in that regard, at least. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about, and I'm not sure if it was McNeil, one of the, I think it was McNeil on the Mets, and they were asking about playing in front of a, an empty stadium. And he said, no offense to uh, Miami, but it's like playing in Miami. Because short of maybe a couple of hundred people, it is almost empty. But the thing I was wondering about, and I'll be curious to see as, as time goes by, Look, you're an athlete, you're out there performing, you're trying to perform uh, the, the skills that you have publicly. And there's the, where does the pressure derive from? Is the pressure put on yourself? Is the pressure within the game that you're playing? Or does the crowd, having a huge crowd watching you, all, knowing all those eyes are on you, does that impact the pressure you feel? Meaning, do you think there'll be some players that'll sort of go, oh, thank God nobody's watching? This feels good. Like I, they'll, maybe they'll feel less pressure. Will they feel loose? Will they almost feel like, eh, this is, you know, like a like a pickup game. Yeah, and yeah, which will make them more relaxed almost. And will is it possible some guys might actually perform better? Listen, I think it's an open book, and really, that's a really good question. Uh, but I don't know. Me personally, from the days when I used to play sports when I was playing hockey, if it was an empty hockey rink, it was cold and it was miserable. Uh, and I like to have people there. Um, so I, I can't imagine what it must be like for these guys. Yeah, I would think there's a condition of having spectators that creates an energy which takes your energy level up, which adds to adrenaline, which usually adds to quickness and sharpness. And that's what baseball is. It's what we call a twitch reaction sport. It's You go from static to boom, a quick reaction and maybe having an empty stadium that could play the other way i guess and, and lull them to sleep almost to a degree it's here's be, here's know, another question though mm -hmm. what happens to all the foul balls i was watching the game uh the other day and they were talking about that like what are they going to do so apparently throw them back in <laughs> well they go no they're going to hire like some people five or six people but they have to roam around the stadium periodically and collect them and then someone was also saying that those collected foul balls, which would typically be used for batting practice, have to undergo some. They're going to be treated for five days because of COVID. Yes, oh my and God. like it's, it's real. I mean, Major League Baseball is being extremely careful with this, and and to their credit, because I don't know if you've heard recently, like the NFL is they're getting ready to start their uh, preseason camps. A lot of the players aren't happy. They don't feel like there's an, enough uh, in place to deal with this COVID scenario right now. And football, let's be honest. Yeah. You've got guys on a line that are breathing on each other. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's a much more physical game than baseball. Yeah. It's going to be hard to keep them separated to any extent. But uh, I was watching, I guess some of the players sit in the stands, not in the dugout. Where there's too many to keep this. It was the funniest. It was, it's, it's going to be interesting, to say the least. I, as a baseball uh, fan... Just purist. Love of the game, but purist. 
I love seeing new games and fresh games, and I, I, it pained me to not have that. However, it doesn't quite feel like the real thing, if you will. Yeah. So I'm not sure where this is going to go over the course of I – mean, maybe over the course of the 60 games, scenarios will unfold that will make it more interesting to follow, and you'll get caught up and realize, hey, it's the game that we're interested in, the players – yeah, there's fans, there's not fans. That that's not as important. I don't know. I, listen, I still don't understand what the NHL or that's and, another one and the NBA are doing. I mean, they're they're you know they're playing in camps. I mean, the NHL is Toronto. I think Toronto and Edmonton are going to be their two cities uh, that they're going to play all their games in. Which is interesting because I don't know if you heard. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays right. are not being allowed to play their games. In right. They have to play in Buffalo. So I don't know how the NHL is handling U.S. teams, base teams, and Canadian-based teams, and will they be crossing What I'm going to say is so unpopular, but I really wish they'd just write it off I, I know. and start you, you, in, and in 2021. When you say that realistically, I get it. It makes sense. Emotionally, it pains me, though, and I guess at this point, I'm willing to collect crumbs is what it's going to be. You know what I'm saying? It's sort of this thing of like, well, just, you know, basically there are, there are things like Broadway and the year is written off. It's done. It is. And you know, there's still five months to go and that's life. And so any little bit of it that can seem like what was life before COVID, I guess I'm still willing to sort of deal with it that way as opposed to just throwing it away. I don't know. But I don't disagree. I don't think what you're saying is absurd. I think I understand where that's yeah, coming from. It's my personal feeling. Yeah. And you know what? I think about all the years you spent working at 30 Rock mm. and the Christmas tree lighting. Yeah. And all those stores that pay those exorbitant rents and count on the Christmas week to make money to be able to support the rest of the year. Right. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I, I mean, if, if there's, you know, not a quick recovery from this and. Unfortunately, it's not looking. This is this is a marathon. I think we're in. We're not in a sprint against this particular yeah. Uh, virus. And uh, yeah, I mean, I I can't see the holiday season looking like it typically does, yeah. even if it remotely uh, can look like it. I think we'll take it at this point. But uh, anyway, on that note, uh, when we come back the next time, they will have probably played a few games. We'll see how we feel about all of that. Okay. And again, uh, we want to thank our our guest Wayne Monstein today. What a great job. Yeah. And thank, thank you. you for bringing him on board. I appreciate that. I'm going to say, stay safe, sunshine always. I'm going to say, be good, feel good. Thanks for being with us. Play ball! Or something. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, preferably five stars, no begging. Uh, We're available also on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, and at Believe Podcasts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.